You are Locked On Clippers, your daily Los Angeles Clippers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Locked On Clippers. I'm your host, Lucas Hand. Today is Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. It's the midpoint of our week, and it's the midpoint of the Clippers' five-game road trip. They're playing in New York tonight. They have two losses to start the trip in Boston and Toronto. They'll finish the trip in Charlotte and Utah. So, just looking at those five games, you say, okay, the hardest game in this five-game road trip was Toronto, the second night on the back-to-back coming off of Boston, which was the second-hardest game. And there are two more hard games. You're playing at Charlotte and at Utah, which are both playoff teams, even though they probably aren't as rough as the Boston-Toronto back-to-back were. The game, the only game on this trip that's against a lottery team is against the New York Knicks, the game tonight. So this is crucial, I think, for the Clippers because it would have been nice for them to be able to split that Boston-Toronto back-to-back, but... They were underdogs in both of those games, um, and that's how it goes sometimes. You, you play a tough road back-to-back, missing your star point guard, you lose both games. But they have to win this one, and not have to win in the sense that the season is over, but have to win that just for a for a confidence standpoint, for a standing standpoint, just looking at the schedule and saying, where do you get wins? This is a game where you have the chance to get a win. Um, and especially with two tough ones coming up, if the Clippers lose tonight against the Knicks, they might go 0-5 for this road trip if they don't have confidence going into Charlotte and then into Utah, which is brutal. An 0-5 road trip is brutal because a five-game losing streak is awful. But then you put that all on the same road trip, and it's like a huge confidence issue for a team. So I think this is a big win to get because even though a 1-4 road trip is awful, I think that this win, or a win tonight, not this win, not to put the cart in front of the horse, but if you get a win tonight, it helps build your confidence going into these last two games of the trip. And I think that if they win tonight, they'll be able to win at least one of the other games and hopefully finish this trip either 3-2 and two or 2-3, two and three, which isn't great, but isn't that awful because you're missing Chris Paul and it's 10 road games in 11, you know, 10, 10 games out of 11 are on the road, and it's a five-game road trip against... Four playoff teams, including a back-to-back Boston-Toronto. That's a tough trip. So three and two is okay. Two and three is bad, but not awful. I think that if they lose tonight, maybe they win one of the last two games, but you're probably looking at an 0-5 or 1-4 road trip. So a lot swings on this game momentum-wise, energy-wise, confidence-wise. That's why I think it's a, um, it's a big one. It's kind of one that I had circled on this road trip I again I was hopeful that they'd be able to split the Boston Toronto back-to-back and I actually think what might be more frustrating than anything else is that they kind of showed that they probably were capable of winning at least one if not both of those games but for whatever reason just the sort of execution focus intensity level didn't seem to be there now they're in a position where instead of this Knicks game swinging a trip from like 
two and three to four and one, this Knicks game could be swinging a trip from one and four to three and two, or zero oh and five to two and three. They need they basically need to win this game. Um, and even if you're in the the Clippers should lose these games and fall to the sixth seed, fall to the seventh seed boat. Confidence is important. While you know you need to be able to get some wins while you're you can reason away. Yeah, we lost the Boston Toronto back to back. It was a rough one, whatever. But to say, you know, to have an 0-5 road trip really kind of wrecks your confidence as a team. And it feels like this team had to work really hard to get over that, the sort of confidence hit that they took in that six-game losing streak that they had back in December. So let's talk about the Knicks a little bit, because the Knicks are an interesting team. Um, their star player, their best player, is obviously Carmelo Anthony, who we have discussed at length in regards to the Clippers trying to acquire him. But while Carmelo isn't the superstar that he once was, and a lot of Knicks fans want to complain a lot about Carmelo Anthony, he's not really the problem here. Um, He might be miscast in the sense that you look at this roster and it's almost like Carmelo Anthony is supposed to be leading the you know, miserable Cleveland Cavaliers from LeBron's first stint in Cleveland. He's supposed to be leading like that level of supporting cast to a playoff berth. And Carmelo Anthony is not that guy. He just isn't. Um, I'm not sure that he ever was because even in Denver, he always seemed to have quality help. But especially at this stage in his career, he just isn't that transformative superstar who's going to carry a team to 50 wins by himself. Now he's not totally by himself. He's got Kristaps Porzingis. Obviously Kristaps is one of the more exciting young talents in the league. He's this like giant athletic Latvian power forward who shoots threes and blocks shots and does all sorts of exciting things. Um, I think Kristaps has been hurt lately. Is he going to play in this game? Yeah, it looks like he's back. Okay, so um, so Chris Stapps is gonna is I believe is going to play in in this game against the Clippers. I I think he'd missed maybe a little back. He'd missed a few games, but that's exciting. I mean, Chris Stapps is an exciting guy to watch, and I think it's a it's gonna be a fun matchup for Blake, or maybe not for Blake, but an interesting matchup for us to watch. Chris Stapps versus Blake, because Blake tends has always tended really to struggle against longer defenders. But at the same time, Chris Stapps, you know, if you've seen the Knicks play a lot, is very, very skinny. He's he's like kind of a, a frail guy to an extent. Um, and so Blake might be able to bully him. And while Chris Stapps is athletic, it's not like, you know, there's not very many big men who are going to stay in front of Blake Griffin on the, on the perimeter if he's going to pump fake and drive. So that'll be interesting. Um, and then obviously, just Chris Stapps has such a unique offensive game that It'll be interesting to to see Blake try to guard that, or maybe they put DeAndre on him and let Blake guard Joaquin Noah. I don't know. Um, I think they'll probably stick with DeAndre on Noah, I would think, just because Chris Stapps stretches the floor out to the three-point line and Noah doesn't, and DeAndre can stay in on defense, although Joaquin Noah might not be playing because Joaquin Noah has had some injury issues. So if he sits... It's going to be the rookie Willie Hernan Gomez 
who you probably haven't heard of, who you should probably get used to hearing of, because he's having like a great year. Um, he's only, I mean, he's averaging six points and six rebounds, which makes you go like, oh wow, six points and six rebounds. But he's actually doing that in only 15 minutes a game. So without having the numbers in front of me, his per 36 stats are something like, uh, I, they, they have to be something like 12 and 12 or 14, 13 and 14 or, or so, something along those lines. Um, I don't know. I'm, I haven't, I'm bad at doing multiplication in my head, I guess. Maybe it's something like that. But he's putting up great numbers, and especially in the recent games when he's had more playing time, um, at Washington, 32 minutes, 15 points, 14 rebounds, 4 assists. At Brooklyn, 25 minutes, 16 points, 16 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, and a block. Versus Cleveland, 36 minutes, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks. Versus Lakers, 24 minutes, 8 points, 13 rebounds, 2 steals, 1 assist, 1 block. So, again, I, haven't re I, I have to admit, I have not seen Willie Hernan Gomez play a lot. Um, I'm sure I've watched, been watching a game while he's on the court, but I have not noticed him and I have not watched for him. But that's something that I'm going to be watching for pretty carefully in this game because his numbers kind of jump off the page at me when you have a big man who is producing that effectively in limited minutes when, you know, something like points and rebounds, when you can project that across like per 36 and the numbers look kind of astronomical, it's always worth looking at what that guy is doing within his role. Because um, Cole Aldrich is a guy who's like that, where when you projected his per 36-minute numbers out, they were actually really good. And so that's what encouraged me when the Clippers signed him is that, you know, yeah, he's not going to play 36 minutes, but his per 36 numbers looked pretty good at 12 minutes a game. So he should be pretty good in those 12 minutes, and he ended up being pretty good in those 12 minutes. Um, obviously having the drop-off this year in Minnesota, but it's just it's something that I, that I like to look for. As you see, they're like six points and six rebounds doesn't jump off the page. But six points and six rebounds in 15 minutes kind of should. The problem is when you start looking elsewhere on the Knicks roster besides those guys. Um, they have some nice pieces, sure. Courtney Lee is a good player. Um, he's shooting 42% from deep this year, which is great. They gave him like $45 million, which feels like a lot, but it's the new NBA, so maybe that's fair value. So they've got a solid shooting guard. Justin Holiday playing shooting guard off the bench for them, is kind of like inefficient, but scoring like eight points in 20 minutes, 42%, 36% from deep. Okay, yeah, I can I can get behind that. Kylo Quinn off the bench for them in 15 minutes, similar to Hernan Gomez, is averaging six points and five and a half rebounds. So obviously he's contributing, you know, doing his part. But you look elsewhere, and there's just like a lot of stuff that, that you cringe at. Um, starting point guard, Derek Rose. Cringe. Starting center, normally the starting center, Joakim Noah. Cringe. Brandon Jennings is the backup point guard. Cringe. Lance Thomas is having an awful year. Um, and then 
they have that um they have this guy Kuzminskis. Kuzminskis? It's spelled Kuzminskis, but I don't know if I'm maybe um pronouncing that wrong. Who you'd think he's a young guy because he's a, a rookie, but he's actually not a young guy. He's an old rookie at 27. Um and he's like a like a European floor spacer, but he's only shooting 33% from deep in the NBA this season. So it's like a little sketchy um how exact how useful he exactly is. And then they've got some guys you've never heard of unless you follow college basketball. Um they've got Sasha Vujicic. <laughs> There's just the you know the the roster seems I think they have three undrafted rookies on like their third string not playing at all. Ron Baker, Maurice Ndor, who I don't I don't know who Maurice Ndor is. I've never heard of him. Ron Baker obviously um if you watch college basketball from from Wichita State is pretty well known. And Marshall Plumley who it doesn't surprise me Marshall Plumley made an NBA team following his production at Duke. He just seemed like really solid even if he wasn't as amazing as some of the other guys, but it doesn't surprise me he made an NBA team as a third string, but anytime you've got three roster spots dedicated to undrafted free agent rookies who aren't really contributing. Um I know Ron Baker got like his time to shine, right? He he started a couple games because Jeff Hornacek was mad with the team's effort. But he's not contributing. Sasha Vujicic basically, you know, throw him out. He's not helping. And now you're left with like a ton of question marks with not a lot of fallbacks. Um, because of the other guys on the team, of the other 11 guys, Brandon Jennings is a huge question mark. And he's shooting under 40% from the field this season. And he's not, <laughs> he's not a great player. He's not a great point guard. Um, Kuzminskis is a question mark who's been okay. Lance Thomas is really underwhelmed. Joakim Noah, you probably should have known, wasn't going to be very good. Derrick Rose, you probably should have known, wasn't going to be very good. And, okay, Derrick Rose is scoring 18 points a game, and he's shooting 45% from the field. That's fine, and that's fine. But here's the problem. He doesn't get assists under 4.4 or 4 .4 assists per game as the starting point guard playing 32 minutes is bad. It's awful. He doesn't shoot 24.5% from three. And he doesn't defend. So you're playing a guy at point guard who, like, what does <laughs> he scores? He drives. That's that's okay. It's good. But you're paying him over twenty million dollars, and he's your starting point guard, and he's supposed to be like this core piece. And you're trying to make the playoffs. And Derrick Rose is like kind of the ideal tank master because he's going to score points and drive to the rim and make highlights, but he's going to be a net negative on your team because. He's not doing things that you need your point guard to be doing as far as distributing the basketball and spacing the floor. And he's not going to play defense. So he's like a, a tank master. Um, but what's funny is that they weren't seemingly trying to tank when they gave out all this money this summer and kept Carmelo Anthony and built around Kristaps Porzingis. And here's the biggest folly, I think, in, this, in how the Knicks built their roster, is that they gave Carmelo Anthony a no-trade clause. And... It was an exchange. He took a little bit of a pay cut. They gave him a no-trade clause. That's fine if you're going to be good and you're not going to want to move him. 
But Phil Jackson gave him a no-trade clause and has now turned around and said that he wants to move him. If you think that wanting to move him is going to be a possibility, don't give him the no-trade clause. And I, it, if knowing that he has the no-trade clause, build a team that's going to be successful because you're stuck because he has the no-trade clause. And they didn't do it. And now they're going to, you know, if they trade him, be it for the Clippers or, or anyone else, they're not getting Kevin Love for him. And other than that, it's going to be pennies on the dollar wherever he goes because the Knicks have no leverage because they gave him a no-trade clause. And then they decided to suck. Um, I think Phil Jackson has to be gone in New York. I, I can't, if, you know, I, I'm able to watch from a distance and just kind of, like, shake my head and go, wow. But for, if I was up close, like, if that if that was how the Clippers were being run, where they, they that Joakim Noah contract is just remarkably, remarkably awful. $17 million a year for one of the most, injury-prone, washed-up players in the league who's already 31. He's going to be 35. He's about to turn 32, so he's going to be 35 and then turn 36 mid-season in the last year of this deal. After not being good for a while. Um, he just, he's, he's had his injuries, and he's not the guy who he was in 2012 and 2013. In 2014, he just isn't. Um, but it's I don't know if Phil Jackson like wasn't paying attention, or maybe Phil Jackson like just watched the Chicago Bulls play a lot in the like in 2011 and 2012, and was like, oh yeah, these I got to get these former Bulls players. But man, it's just bad. They were it, they were bad ideas from the moment he acquired them. It's not like he made gambles and he lost. The process was bad. The Joakim Noah contract is inexcusable. That that cripples the franchise and the entire reason they're going to have to trade Carmelo Anthony, or not have to, but are likely going to end up trading Carmelo Anthony, their star player, for pennies on the dollar. And I like Austin Rivers, but Carmelo Anthony for Austin Rivers is pennies on the dollar in return is because he just completely mismanaged their franchise. Completely. So, anytime that you want to complain about Doc Rivers, the GM, that's fine. You come up with the points you want to make, you complain. Um, you know, one G another president being worse than Doc Rivers doesn't make it okay for Doc Rivers to make mistakes, obviously. But maybe just be happy that the Clippers aren't saddled with with Phil Jackson because man has he been mind-bogglingly awful in the Knicks front office. Now I think we're going to cut this episode a little short. We're almost at 20 minutes and we'll wrap it up. Um, I just want to briefly note that the Clippers defense has been abysmal in the last three weeks since Chris Paul went out. I think they've held opponents under 100 points in six of seven, six of seven games before Chris Paul went out, including the game that he got hurt in. I think nine games since then, I think it's been nine games since then, they have lost 
or they have allowed over a hundred points in every game. Um, that's just like, yeah, nine games since then, over a hundred points in every game. A hundred four, a hundred twenty three, a hundred five, a hundred twenty one, a hundred forty four, a hundred fourteen, a hundred thirty three, hundred seven, one hundred eighteen. That's crazy. In a nine, I mean, 144, 133, 123, 121. That's four games over 120 points allowed in a nine game stretch. Those are like, maybe should be like four of the highest point totals you give up in a game all year. And they happened all within the last few weeks. Now, I talked about this on the crossover pod yesterday with Sean Woodley um, from Locked On Raptors, but I'll reiterate it. When Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, was struggling in the middle of this past NFL season, there was one of the famous former great quarterbacks, and I forget who it was. I saw him on ESPN, and I forget what show it was on, but I remember what he said because it, it kind of stuck with me. He said the reason Aaron Rodgers is struggling is because his receivers went through a slump. And so he was going back and making his normal progressions and making his normal throws, and the receivers weren't where the ball was. He was putting the ball in the right spot, but the receivers weren't getting to the right spot. So he stopped trusting them, and he started having to he started trying to make a spectacular spectacular play on every down instead of going through his routine progressions and trusting his receivers. And then what happened is, obviously, you can't make a spectacular spectacular play every single down. And so he started struggling because he wasn't doing what he normally did. I think the Clippers' defense might kind of be suffering from a little bit of that. It's like they they had some bad games, and they were nervous about the first Warriors game. So they didn't trust each other. They over-adjusted. They didn't stick to their scheme. They let up 144 points in that Warriors game, which probably only exacerbated the problem. Because there are plays when the Clippers are so earnest to help and they're playing over so early that even when the primary man defender stays in front of his guy, someone else is open because the help is there when it doesn't need to be there. Or they help too aggressively and they're helping from the wrong spots. Um, it just seems like maybe they need, they need like a reset. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's been kind of crazy to see see a team's defense fall apart like the Clippers has. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of these games, like, they scored 110 points against Philadelphia. You should probably beat Philadelphia if you score 110 points. You don't need to let Philly score more than 110 against you. But they let up 121. They scored 120 points against the Warriors in the second game. And yeah, the Warriors score a lot of points, you know, Obviously, the Warriors score a lot of points, but they average 118 points a game. So if you score 120, you're like right in that range, but they let up 133. Um, and then that Toronto game, you know, the Raptors score 109 points a game. The Clippers scored 109 points, but they let up 118. And even though the defense has been bad, because they're scrambling and, and they seem to be playing hard, most of the players, most of the time, seem to be playing hard. 
it isn't the defense has been like bad but not horrendous but what's pushed these overall stats like opponent field goal percentage and points allowed and defensive rating into the horrendous range has been transition defense points off turnovers second chance points because they're scrambling so much they're not in position to box out and get rebounds and teams have been killing them on the glass and on second chance second chance points and the clippers have been turning the ball over too much and giving up layups and dunks on the other end because of it and then even though the clippers scheme um, doc rivers strategy has always been don't crash the glass for offensive rebounds get back on defense and I don't, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. I don't know how successful the Clippers have been at offensive rebounding versus defensive transition efficiency in the last few years. But I do know that in this last nine-game stretch, they haven't done either well. So it's like they, they're sticking with the scheme. They're not crashing the glass on offense. But they're not hustling back on defense either. So they're kind of in no man's land while the other teams are just running past them back and forth. Um. And you never want to say that a team is losing because they're not trying hard because not trying hard is like the biggest cop-out for someone who's analyzing basketball, right? Like, oh, they just wanted it more. It's such an awful I, – I, I hate when you hear it on TV. Well, the Knicks just wanted it more tonight. No, they didn't. Um, but in some cases, there's – there's just an effort level there, wherever it comes from, that teams can't maintain over an 82-game season. You have games where you come out flat. Um, and it's like, for the Clippers, it spiraled badly. Because um, they lost that Timberwolves game that they should have won, and they're demoralized because... Chris Paul had been out, and they went through a losing streak, and then he came back. And then Blake Griffin was about to come back, and they were about to be healthy again, and they were still within striking distance for the three seed, and like everything was good. And then Chris Paul got hurt again, and you went through a couple games without Chris and Blake. And then Blake came back, and they had that huge collapse in the second half at Philly. They got blown out by the Warriors, and it's like, this team just doesn't have swagger right now. They don't have a pep in their step. Um... And that's not to say that they don't want it, but they just don't quite have that spark. And I don't know where you get it from, and I think it's something that people go like, well, Doc Rivers should be motivating them. Well, okay, but that's easier said than done. And yeah, he's a professional coach, but normally the great motivators who are known for being great motivators, are motivating guys in already big moments. Like, yeah, he really had us fired up to play in this NBA Finals game. How do you get guys fired up to play a back-to-back at Toronto when you've lost, what, six of your last eight, and Chris Paul is out, and you just lost to Boston yesterday, and you're the underdog by seven points? You know, like, that's a little rougher. and you can give the most rousing speech, but if guys just don't have it in their legs that night, it, it's hard. So the, I think it, it might just come down to a moment for the Clippers. And you see this a lot in sports. Momentum swings in a moment. Um, this came up just the other day when 
Matt Moore at HP Basketball on Twitter was talking to someone about how the Kings stole or the Kings had a game stolen from them. I forget who got screwed. There was a game this year where the referees did like a game clock review because the game clock had started late and someone got screwed out of the game. It was really weird. Um, I think it might have been Toronto. And the Kings got a win. And Matt brought up that some random crazy thing had happened last year where the Kings had gotten screwed out of a win. So, yeah, they got a free win this year. They got screwed out of one last year. Sometimes, you know, shit happens. As, you know, just to use the phrase, shit happens. Well, the Clippers' biggest shit happens moment in franchise history comes in, I believe, 2010. Um when the team was like just under 500 i think they were 18 and 19 they go into memphis it's about to be the end of the third quarter they're up by like 12 maybe um and they're going to win this game and get to 500 on the season this is blake griffin's rookie year but not the rookie year that he played in rather the rookie year that he hurt his knee in preseason and he was going to come back midseason and then they ended up just holding him out the entire year so, the Clippers are up 12. There's like 30 seconds left in the third quarter. And the wa- there's a fucking leaky pipe in the FedEx Forum in Memphis. And they have to evacuate the whole arena and delay the game. Like, I forget how long. It was like 30 minutes or something. And when the Clippers came back, they lost the third quarter, like, or the fourth quarter, like 30 to 12 or 27 to 12. And they end up losing the game. Um, and that day, the same day, I think it might have actually been like during the game, the announcement came out that Blake Griffin was going to be shut out for the rest of the season. So you, you're at this point where it's like, yeah, you're about to go to 500 and Blake's going to be back soon. And then all of a sudden there's just a moment. And now you have like your most crushing defeat of the season completely beyond your control like of course the Clippers could have played better in that fourth quarter but it's hard to hold it against them that they lost all of their momentum because the game was delayed half an hour because of a leaky pipe and you learn out you you learn that the star rookie that you've been waiting for is going to miss the entire season and the year just crumbled from there they finished like they were they were like two games under 500 at that point they finished like 30 games under 500 now that's an extreme example of how like huge events can shift the momentum of, of a season with the snap of a finger. Like just one instant, bam, the season changes. I don't think the Clippers are going to have some season-defining moment against the Knicks, but whatever it is, it can be a fight or you know a big play or something that sparks a run, that gets the team going. You know, it could even be like a huge poster and one dunk from Blake in the first quarter. Gets the team fired up and they have some good defensive possessions and they build some confidence and they win this game and now they're rolling into these last three games before the All-Star break. It just takes something like that to to really jumpstart the momentum. And that might be what I'm looking for more than anything in this game. Um, You know, not like a schematic thing or an individual performance, but can the Clippers just get a spark? Get get some energy. Get their legs going. Get fired up. Um, I think that's what's going to swing this next stretch, hopefully, for the Clippers. 
is can there be a moment that flips the switch? Because you can't flip the switch on and off by yourself. But can there be a moment that flips the switch for them? Um, okay, we're over on time because I said we were going to end early and then we went over, which I always do. Um, but that's going to be it for our episode. The Clippers play again at the Knicks tonight. They've got two more games on this trip. We've got two more episodes this week. And then it's almost all-star break time. Um, you can tweet me at Lucas J. Han. You can email me lhan.clipsnation at gmail.com. You can read my work clipsnation.com. Um, I guess that's all. All right, guys. See you next time. Thanks for listening. This is Lucas Han signing off for Lockdown Clippers.